chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. I said we will commence a series today which is titled Sweetened Waters. Everybody says Sweetened Waters. So we'll flag it off today and then we'll run it um, throughout Digging Deep because really it's um, going to be a Digging Deep subject. And I can assure you that it promises to be as interesting as lift up your heads, O ye gates. So we'll start off today and then we'll continue on Wednesday. Let me read the main text for this series. Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they were come to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently Hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elim, where there were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. This is a very interesting story and I believe one way or the other that we all know something about this story. The children of Israel had left Egypt. Pharaoh and his armies had come after them and there seemed to be no way of escape because right before them stood the Red Sea Behind them stood Pharaoh and his armies. There are people standing outside. They shouldn't be standing since we have chairs. Yes, behind them stood Pharaoh. The Red sea. Behind them was Pharaoh and the armies. And before them was the Red Sea. But God did something Interesting. The Bible says it caused a strong east wind to blow. And that wind parted the Red Sea. And they walked in the midst of the Red Sea on dry ground. They crossed over to the other side. Pharaoh's armies came after them. And God shot the Red Sea. And destroyed all of Pharaoh's armies. So that in Exodus chapter 15 from verse 1. You have a song of victory. A song of rejoicing. The children of Israel danced. And danced. And danced. Because the Lord had done a great thing in their lives. And after they had praised God and thanked God, they took on their journey. And for three days, they went and couldn't find any water to drink. 
Suddenly, they found some water after three days. And they all rushed to drink because they were really thirsty. Everybody say thirsty. And the Bible says they couldn't drink the water because the waters were bitter. Moses cried unto the Lord. And the Lord told Moses what to do. And suddenly the bitter waters became sweet. The bitter waters became sweet. We're going to spend some time and find out today how to ensure that every bitter water in our life can be made sweet. Because God is a God that can turn bitter waters sweet. And I'd like to just say that today, as we spend time looking at sweetened waters, that God will make every bitter water in your life sweet. Every bitter situation in your life, God will make sweet. Everything that's bitter in your life, God will make sweet. I say, everything that is bitter in your life, God will make sweet. Verse 25 of the text. It says, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he had cast into the waters. And the waters were made sweet. I want you to think for a moment. Ask yourself, How long had that tree been there by the water? Because when Moses cried unto the Lord, the Lord said to him, there's a tree by the water. Just take a branch and throw it into water and it will solve the problem. Ask yourself, how long had that tree been there? How long had the water been bitter? Were the children of Israel the first group of people to come across that water? Very unlikely. How come all those who came before couldn't find a solution to that problem? Because the the solution to the problem was there by the water itself. Most of the people who must have come before them did exactly what they did. Grumbled, complained, and then went on their way. And yet, the solution to the problem was there all along. The lesson really to learn from that is this. Every single problem that you and I face in life, God has provided a solution for. Indeed, the solution for the problem came before the problem came. But it is possible to live life and never come across the solution to a problem. It is very possible to go through life, the entirety of life, and never come across the solution to problems. Yet the solution of the problems are there by the problem. You see, this water was a problem, and the tree was there by the water. So each time you see a problem, the solution to the problem is with that problem. Always with the problem. 
But somehow or the other, we all complain, we all grumble, we all murmur. We all do the same things. We think maybe if we pray or if we fast hard enough, it will solve the problem. Somehow, that really doesn't work that way. It is my prayer that God, just as he opened the eyes of Moses, to see exactly what the problem was, or the solution to that problem was, he opened our eyes so that we can see the solution to our problems. You see, unless God opens our eyes, we'll never find the, pro- the solution to the problem. And this story tells us that there are two types of Christians in the whole world. Just two. The Christian who understands just the acts of God. And the Christian who knows the ways of God. But there are more Christians who just believe and see the acts of God than there are Christians who know the ways of God. Psalm 103 verse 7 tells us that he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. While Moses led the children of Israel, all the children of Israel knew about God was that he was a miracle-working God. But Moses knew his ways. And I say that his ways, once you understand his ways, you can know how to bring about his acts. But life is filled with people who are concerned only about the ways of the acts of God and not the ways of God. Now in that whole story we just read, one of the things we will learn again is that human memory is very short. Just three days before they came to Mara, these people were dancing and rejoicing, saying that there was no God like our God. Three days after, going without water, they said to Moses, you brought us here to die. What happened to the God that they knew? They had forgotten. The God that parted the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and his armies. What happened to that God? They had forgotten. And we tend to be more like the children of Israel than like Moses. People with short memories. And the interesting thing about mankind is that man tends to love and remember Sorrow more than joy. We are more at home. That's why people, every now and then, I mean, we don't believe in that, but it's not, it's not uncommon for somebody to wake up one day and remember that it's about 25 years ago that my mother died and then say, let's turn her on her side. And then we have some kind of um, big do about it. And if you think about it, if somebody suddenly started crying here now, and you say, ah, what's wrong? And the person says to you, well, I just, just remembered so-and-so that died six months ago. 
everybody. If the person really cried well, everybody will be whispering, what's that? Oh, still remember someone that died six months ago? She might oh, my show, what a pity. Mm. Like, tell her that she's okay. Holy Spirit will help her. But if somebody in this church just started laughing crazily, and they say, why is this guy laughing? Like, is the Holy Spirit? And say, why are you laughing so much? Ha! Man, I can't. I'm just remember that my wife gave birth six months ago. <laughs> the person sitting near that person will just say, let's shift a bit to. The beast says, Are you okay? What do you say you're laughing about? He said, You know, I, I just remember how my wife gave birth six months ago. Six months ago. That's when my boy was born. Are you okay? One person remembered sorrow. Somebody died six months ago and is crying. One person remembered life. Somebody was born six months ago and he's just joyous in church. The whole congregation can sympathize the woman who is talking about sorrow. They will say the man who is talking about joy is say, six months ago. This guy, there's something wrong with this guy. Why? Because that's how we are. But the interesting thing about God is this. God wants us all the time to remember all he has done for us. We must never be like the children of Israel. Three days after they have forgotten God three days after. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, the Bible says from verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. So the Bible tells us that God does not want us for one moment to forget all, 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 all his benefits, all his goodness. But the truth is, we tend to remember bad things more than we remember good things. But God wants us to always remember good things. The children of Israel had Moses not been there, would never have found the solution to the problem. Because it didn't occur to them, they didn't remember that God had parted the Red Sea. If you look at First Samuel chapter 17 verses 34 to 37, we find David speaking to Saul just before he goes out to battle with Goliath. And David said to Saul, Ah, I can kill this Goliath. And Saul said, How? You are a little boy. He says, I remember when God delivered me from the lion and the bear. That same God, he says, will do a mighty work of deliverance as far as this Goliath is concerned. The truth is, the more we remember the goodness of God, the more God gives us many more things to thank him about. And because we know, the Bible says, 
we should never forget any of his benefits. There's no way anybody here can write down all the benefits of God over the past five years. No way. We can never remember all. And that God doesn't really like. He really wants us to spend time remembering and never forgetting the things he's done for us. So that we don't come to a place where things are not working so well. Like when David came back to Ziklag and found that everything had been taken away. His wife, his children, their property. His men thought of stoning him. But the Bible says, when David saw how hopeless the situation was, he encouraged himself in the Lord. What did that mean? What did he do? He just kept on recounting all the goodness of God. And in no time, God told him, relax, go after those people, and you'll get back everything that they have taken. I think, in fact, it's a good idea if we just rise to our feet and spend some time and just say thank you. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for keeping me. Here we are in the seventh month of the year. Many entered the new year and are dead. Many never saw the new year. But I'm alive, I'm well. Not because I'm healthier than them. Not because I'm better than them. But because you are a gracious God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We say we are grateful. Grateful for your goodness. Grateful, 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 grateful. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. We say only you are God. Only you are Jehovah Rapha. Only you are Jehovah Nisi. Only you are Jehovah El Shaddai. No God like you, Lord. You alone are the Lord of Lords. You alone are the God of Gods. We say we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Lord, you have brought us all here into this seventh month of this year. Lord, not because we are better than others who have not made it, but because you are a gracious and a good God. We say thank you today, Lord. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, today. All honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. Lord, all honor, all glory we give unto you. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you today, Lord. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name. Please be seated. Exodus 15, 22 to 27. It's not so much about all that I have said. The key thing about that story really is that it's a story about thirst. The children of Israel went three days without water. And they had become very thirsty. I hear and believe that the human being cannot really go beyond three days without drinking water. So that these people were really, really, really thirsty. In Judges chapter 15, verses 15 through to 17, we see this story of Samson. He had just destroyed a thousand Philistines. And he suddenly became thirsty. And he said, I'm going to die. Judges chapter 15. I'll just read very quickly. This is of Samson, he says, And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, I have slain a thousand men. 
And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given me this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. Verse 19. But God cleaved an hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof En-Hakor, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. We have a situation here where Samson goes through a thousand men. You can just try and imagine that's about half of the people who are here. One man manages to fight and kill them. He stands after that battle and he says, I am so thirsty. I need some water to drink. And there was no water there. And he knew that unless God did something for him and provided water miraculously, that he would die. And he opened his mouth to say so. So that thirst, everybody say thirst. I want you to understand this. Thirst is a very, very powerful thing. When you are really thirsty, if you cannot find water to drink, then thirst will eventually destroy you. It can kill. How powerful is thirst? Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus on the cross. He never complained about the pain of the cross. There's no way that Jesus said the pain is too much. But the thing he complained about, the one thing that seemed to override and make every other thing look inconsequential was thirst. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. He was thirsty. thirsty. The thing is, it's difficult to understand thirst. If you go through life normally, if you want to drink water, you can get some water to drink. But there's something about thirst that God wants all of us to understand. We'll soon arrive there. In Psalm 42, you see, David understood thirst so well. In Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2, the Bible says, As the heart panted after the water brooks, so panted my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. David understood what God wanted every man to learn about thirst. In Psalm 63 verse 1, David himself says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. And in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And we find that throughout scripture, there is always a reference to thirst. Everybody say thirst. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 1 says, Oh, everyone that 
thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that had no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Everyone that thirsteth. John chapter 7. Jesus. In John chapter 7. Verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The only time you can go to Jesus and drink is only when you are thirsty. Everybody say thirsty. If you are not thirsty and you go, you will not get anything to drink. If you are not thirsty and you go to Jesus, you will not get anything to drink. You must thirst if he will give you something to drink. Everybody say thirst. So what is God trying to say to us about thirst? Why did he take these people through three days in the wilderness without water? Because he did it for a purpose. There's a lesson there about thirst that he wanted to teach them and to teach you and I. The thing is, that thing called thirst, as I explained to some people, is God's own litmus test for whoever can break through and actually open, as it were, the treasury of God. If you are going to touch everything that God has, you have to be thirsty. You have to be thirsty. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. So what is it then about thirst? Paul in Philippians chapter 3 gives us a very good revelation about thirst. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 7 Paul says what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ. Yea doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ Paul here describes his thirst he says all I want is to win Christ and I'm prepared to lose everything. I'm prepared to give up everything. Every single thing. So that I may win Christ. Now we find that in the Bible, therefore, that God is saying to us today, and you've got to understand this very clearly, unless you get to the place of 
thirst. You will not touch God in its fullness. Oh, you will still see a few things about life. But the fullness of God, you will never get to unless you get to the place of thirst. And for those who are really, truly serious about finding God, I'd suggest that you try going three days without water. Not so as to find out whether I can kill you or not. But so that you can experience a little bit the zeal with which God wants you to come after him. You see, because you've never been thirsty and you really haven't been thirsty the way God is describing it here. You will never really on your own understand what Jesus means when he says, if any man thirst. Because thirst is that which God has put in place. Until you thirst, you won't cross over. When the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, what he's saying really is thirst after God. Thirst after God. So thirst, therefore, let me explain it this way, is that which comes upon you as regards your relationship with God so that you are prepared to give up everything, everything for God. Sit down, listen to me, and say, well, I'm prepared to give up everything for God. I really am. But even in the Bible, we find that there are many people who thirsted, who seemed as if they we would do anything for God, but they thirsted after other things. Ask yourself today, what is that thing that you want the most in life? You'll be surprised that your answer will not be God. What is the thing that you want the most in life? You'll do anything to get. You will be surprised that your answer will not be God. It won't be God. But then we must not be like these people in the Bible. Esau's thirst was for food. Genesis 25, verses 29 to 37. Esau was willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of food. What is your thirst? Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. All he wanted was prosperity. That's what his thirst was for. Yet he was always in the presence of God. You and I are always in the presence of God. You and I are in God's presence right now. But we have things that are driving us. That thing that is driving you is what you thirst for. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. What 
is it that you are thirsting for? What's the most important thing? If we say, write down your prayer request. What's the single prayer request that you put before God today? That's the thing that you are thirsting for. Gehazi said, I wanted prosperity. And there are many in church who just want prosperity. Nothing else but prosperity. So Gehazi wanted vineyards, oliveyards, men servants, maid servants. He wanted prosperity at all costs. There are many churches that are even devoted solely to the pursuit of prosperity. Or you might take Judas Iscariot. Matthew chapter 26. Verses 14 to 16. Judas Iscariot, his singular quest in life, the thing he thirsted for, was money. He just wanted money at all costs. So much so that even in the presence of God, he stole. God gave him money to keep. He stole the money. He wanted money so badly. Money was the most important thing to him. And there are many in church, all that we want is money. Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas Iscariot thirsted so much for money, he was willing to sell Jesus. And he did sell him. Sold him for 30 pieces of silver. What is that thing that you are thirsting for? Because more than, more than we imagine it, we all are thirsting for the wrong thing. And to know what you are thirsting for is just a simple thing. Write down before you. Think about it. What is the thing that you want most in life? I'd be surprised that there will be people who say, I just want God. He said, I want a job. We want a wife. We want a husband. Some, all we want is just a contract. I was with somebody the other day. And somebody came to ask for a favor. And what was the favor? To be introduced to somebody. I'll just use the, word, the phrase somebody. But this somebody that came, that wanted to be introduced to somebody, had brought five letters of introduction from one from one second class over, one from one second class chief. They had typed it on their letterhead. So when this gentleman saw that, he said, what's going on here? One, two, three, four, five. Recommendation to somebody. And then now wanted this man to add his own. Ah, the man said he's not going to add his own to all of these people. Who are these? If actually, if I tell you the names of the, some of those people, some yeah, yeah people who don't count. You know. so, but it shows you that man, his thirst is just for prosperity, for money. He's a Christian, a good Christian. Because we have two examples I'll take only in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 33, we see Moses. Moses 
was not thirsting for anything else. All he wanted was to see God's glory. Even when God said to him, uh, Moses, be careful. No man can see my glory and live. You want to see my glory? You'll die. And Moses said, no problem. Show me your glory. I don't mind paying the ultimate price. Exodus 33. Let me read from verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken for. Thou hast found grace, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and leave. If you are praying now, and you are saying, Lord, show me your hand, show me your hand, your victorious hand, and you just suddenly hear God say, I will show you my hand. But if I show you my hand, you will die. You say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep your hand. Keep your hand. Keep your hand. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, ah, ah, ah. You can't see my face. If you see me, you can't leave. What did Moses say? Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will, un- and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. God said, Moses, I will show you a bit of me, but you can't see the fullness of me. If you see the fullness of me, you will die. Moses said, I'm ready to die. God said, okay, fine. But I'm not ready for you to die. What was his thirst for? God's glory. David. Psalm 27. David states there the only thing that he really wanted in his life. That's all David wanted. He didn't want anything else. Psalm 27. Verse 4, it says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David says, I want to be and dwell in your presence. That's all I want. Because it's one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that one thing, not two things, will I seek after, so that I may dwell in your presence. In, in Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because David understood that if he could just dwell in the presence of God, that goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. The question to ask ourselves today is, what are you really and truly What is that thing in your heart that you want the most? Is it a gift or is it the giver? And the truth of the matter is, when I asked myself that question, I suddenly realized that it wasn't the giver. 
if you are going to be sincere, people have a long list of things they want from the giver. And never ever on that long list is there a place that says they also want the giver. Until you come to the place, listen, where all you want when God says to you, what do you want? And you say, Lord, it's just you. Your glory, your presence, whatever it is about God that you want. You have not come to the place that Jesus is describing when he says, if any man thirsts. And we all in this church must come to that place. We've just got to come to that place. Anywhere else is not really acceptable to God. That's the meaning of seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then tells us the secret. It says all, all. All the things we can imagine in life will come. And all of us say, Amen. But give us the things first. We'll seek you after. That's what we do in church. We're always praying for ourselves. We are praying today, Lord, go before us, Jerry. As we are going, all my enemies, let them burn with fire. Because nobody wants any me. Lord, open doors that no man can shut. The treasures of darkness that the money nobody knows about give to me. When God said to Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? Just tell me what you want. Solomon said, I'm going to rule these people. How will I know how to rule them? All wisdom resides in you. That wisdom give unto me. And God said, I'm so impressed. Because you have asked for wisdom, you have long life. You, your enemies, I will deal with them. You will never be sick. Money, nobody will be as wealthy as you on the face of this earth. Why? Because he wanted the giver and not the gift. We've all got to come to the place where we begin to readjust our priorities. But then the truth is, even if you readjust your priorities, how do you thirst after God? And I say you can never really understand it in your head. For anybody who's seriously going to find out what it is, you've got to experience what it is to thirst. The funny thing is that the people who understand easily will be those people who do manual labor, building roads. Every day, they are digging, digging. They know the meaning of thirst. So if you tell them that the way you feel when you want to drink water so badly, that's the way God wants your body to be. That's the way God wants you to be when you are coming after him. You say, yes, yes, I understand. But you know, we are sitting here in an air-conditioned atmosphere. We'll soon get into air-conditioned cars. We live in air-conditioned homes. We drink cold water when we want. 
So you've got to try and find out what thirst is. Because if you don't, you really can't get there. Second Kings chapter 2 verse 9 to 12. When Elijah said to Elisha, what is it you want? Because I'm leaving you soon. Anything he asked for, you'd have gotten. He said, I just want a double portion of the anointing. That's all I want. So what is it that you want? What is the thing that you want today from God? I'm going to ask us, whilst we are seated, to understand that everywhere, when you see thirst, what you are seeing is God's own litmus test, is God's own doorway into that which I have not seen, that which ear has not heard, that which has not yet entered into the heart of man. We've got to thirst after God. You see, it's possible to stand and say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And as you're doing that, you're not really even, you don't even know where you are. They're just singing because we are singing in church. But God wants that when we put down a list before him, that the first thing on that list, and the only thing that should be on that list, should be God. Because really and truly, if you have God, you have everything. That's why the Bible says that Moses knew the ways of God. Moses was so close to God that the children of Israel could not even look at his face because God had rubbed off on him. So his face was so bright, they had to cover it with a piece of cloth. And that's how he was able to find the tree that would solve the problem of the bitter waters. There's a solution, a precise divine solution for every single thing that is standing before us as a problem. But we've got to find how to get there. What many people do is they do hit and miss with God. Fast for 40 days. You finish fasting. The problem says, I'm here. You say, okay, no problem. I'll do another 40 days. But this time I'll do 10 of those 40 days dry. You finish the problem is still there. He said, okay. I'll go to the pastor. He'll pray for me and anoint me with oil. He does that. The problem is still there. The widow who ran to Elisha and says, my husband loved God. You know my husband loved God. But he died and left a huge debt. Now they want to take away my son's. And Elisha said to her, what do you have in the house? He said, it's nothing but a small pot of oil. 
they've always had that small pot of oil. When her husband, the prophet, was alive, they always had the oil. It took the gift of God in Elisha to see and say, there's a solution to the problem. It's always been there. Every problem that is in this hall today, the solution was prepared the day the problem came. But then you and I have to find out what the solution is. So today, let us, as we are sitting, I'm giving examples of what some people wanted from God so badly. What is it about God that you want? Because unless you really find something about God that you want, you'll always live below the line. You'll never really enter into what God has ordained. Shall we bow our heads today? What is it about God that you want? Tell him. Understand today, Lord, that it's not about the things I want. It's about you. It's about you. Bring me to the place where I can truly thirst after you. What is it about God that you want? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him today. Now, whilst you are doing that, there are some people who are here. This God we are talking about. The first thing about him that you should really know is that until you have given your life to him, until you have surrendered your life to him, you can't even pray. You can pray, but he's the one that answers prayers. He won't answer. He won't answer. Yet today is such a wonderful day to say to him, Come into my life, Lord. Come. Come and take control of my life. Because without you, I can do nothing, Lord. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's so simple. It's just to just ask him. Tell Jesus, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe your blood was poured out for my sins. I accept that sacrifice today. Please write my name in the book of life. That's all it takes. So simple. You don't have to buy a cow. You don't have to kill a goat. Nothing. Just a simple statement to Jesus. So if you're here, you want to make that simple statement to Jesus. Go ahead and do so. But put up your hand wherever you are. So we can put a card in your hand. Because we need to tell you a lot about what will be happening to you. Because everything about your life is about to change. Because the Bible says, when a man is in Christ, behold, all things become new. Everything about you is going to change today. Everything. So if you want to just say to Jesus, Lord, God bless you. Put up your hand properly. I, I need to, God bless you so that I can see you and even need to call the attention of the ushers to you. Is there anybody, anybody else? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Those who have put up their hands, I'll just ask you to do one other thing. Just rise to your feet and come to the front here. Quickly. Come, come and stand in front here so we can pray together. Quickly, quickly. Quickly. Anybody else? Even if you have not put up your hand, just get up and come. You are coming out before God, not before a human being. Before God, before God, the maker of the heaven and the earth. He knows you. He knows you by name. If you are sitting down and wondering, ah, am I really saved? 
then come. Once there's a question, then come. Once there's a question, then come. The rest of us, let us tell God what we want, what we want, what we want, what we want, what we want from Him. Now, those of you who have come out, just spend some time and just ask God to save your souls, to save your souls, to save your souls. To write your name in the book of life. Tell Him that you know that He died for you. He died for you. God bless you. Come, come. You are coming to God, not to any man. Tell Him, tell him to write your name down in the book of life. You have to ask Him to do so. Tell Him you believe that He died for you on the cross. Tell him, tell him. Father, we thank you and bless you. Because your word says that no man can come unto you except you draw him near. These people, Lord, you alone could have drawn them near. We plead the blood of Jesus over each one of them. We say, Lord, write their names in the book of life. Save them to the utmost, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, those of you who are standing in front, you go this way and you go this way. I guess you'll end up meeting at the same place. Now that we know that the one thing God, God is just an amazing God, that the one thing he wants most from you and I is to thirst after him and not after the things not after the things but after him let's rise to our feet and tell him that we love him I love you Lord and I live my
thank you, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done, Lord, for me. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for going to the cross on my behalf. Thank you for the salvation of my soul. Lord, we thank you today and bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Please be seated. Now let's prepare our offerings.